0: We live in a world that is facing one of its biggest challenges in living memory. The coronavirus pandemic has devastating potential as it sweeps across the globe. To fight the virus and slow its spread, we've had to change almost everything about how we live our lives. I'm Alicia Shepherd, and welcome to Coronavirus Examined. Each episode, we're speaking to a different academic via the socially distanced means of video chat to ask them for their expert takes on the broad ranging impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. Today I'm joined by Professor Dan Goodley from our School of Education who teaches disability studies and education. In this episode we're going to discuss some of the challenges faced by the disabled community during this difficult time.
1: I work, um, I'm part of a research institute called iHuman which is the Institute for the Study of the Human and uh, disability is a big focus for a number of researchers within um, our research community. So I think the best way to think about this is that disability for us is an identity, it's a social and political category, uh, and it's um, a phenomenon that traditionally is understood in terms of medicine and psychology, the kind of, if you like, the health sciences. But what we're trying to do is to understand disability from a social and cultural uh, side and way of thinking. So I'll give you a couple of examples of what that might mean. One would be to understand and challenge the ways in which many people with disabilities or people with impairments uh, experience what's called disablism. And disablism, like racism, uh, is the exclusion of people with uh, with impairments from everyday life. So you can see there what we're doing is we're seeing disability very much as, as a political um, entity. And also disability gets us to think about uh, the wider world more broadly. And one example of that might be it's the kind of um, an ideological position or bias that assumes that everybody um, has the um, correct amount of faculties, whether they be mental or physical, to essentially look after themselves. And so ableism is an ideology on which our current society capitalism relies Uh, and disabled people and their political organisations have um, demonstrated to us the problems with this kind of widespread thinking, ableist thinking, because what it does, of course, it it, uh, it assumes that the individual is going to look after themselves when we know actually that we need one another uh, all the time. And you could argue with COVID-19, never we uh, needed one another more. So um, one way we describe this is that we try to promote in our human what's called a critical disability studies approach, which is interdisciplinary which is responsive to the ambitions and aspirations of disabled people and gets us to think about disability as an opportunity to rethink the world. So for us, we would say whenever your question, whether it be a political or cultural question or even a health question, one should try to start the answer, if you like, with disability as, as kind of kicking off the conversation.
0: Um, And just to clarify, obviously, when we talk about disabled people in the disabled community, that um, there's quite a broad term and quite a broad spectrum, am I right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, in the disability studies or critical disability studies community, we um, start with the self-definition of disability. So you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to get a psychologist or a psychiatrist or GP to define you as disabled to be part of the community you self-define or you might define as being an ally of disabled people, which I, I would include myself in that kind of category. And yeah, disability in this sense is very broad, so it would, it would include people with physical and sensory impairments and also people with cognitive impairments, things we might perhaps we still understand. Um, as meant, a horrible term, mental retardation, which we'd now understand as learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities, but we would also inc- include labels like autism and mental health. So it's a broad category, um, and it's a broad category because it reflects the fact that disabled people constitute the biggest minority group in the world, so the World Health Organization back in 2011 uh, estimated there's one billion disabled people in the world. And in fact, if you speak to anybody in the world, they'll have either a, a personal, uh, individual kind of experience of disability or they'll know somebody in their family who's disabled. And of course, there's all the arguments, which is quite a, a well-worn story within disability studies literature, that if you're not disabled, you are temporarily able-bodied. So you will eventually encounter some very personal relationship with disability. So the reason we keep it broad is to try and be inclusive, to be encompassing. It's also to recognise this idea of self-definition. And finally, um, by having a broader kind of understanding of disability, it brings together disabled people from across the board in a collective. And that's really important because disabled people historically have been segregated from one another. So, you know, special schools have been set up for particular kind of impairments, Um, You know, kids with, um, you know, um, uh, sensory impairments might be split away from kids with with intellectual disabilities. So it's a a deliberate act actually to be broad, uh, but to be inclusive.
0: Um, So obviously you touched on it a little bit in terms of like decision making, whether it be political or in healthcare. And obviously we've got the coronavirus crisis right now. So how Mm -hmm. are disabled people being impacted by that in the UK at the moment?
1: Yeah, so the question there about how COVID-19 is impacting on disabled people, I think it's an incredibly worrying time for disabled people. And there's kind of three areas that I think is important to consider here. Firstly, in these very uh, treacherous times, we've seen uh, the Coronavirus Act of March 2020, which was brought in and has been, uh, you know, uh, argued for as a way of responding to this pandemic, um, which of course it is. The trouble with that, that um, act is that it puts in jeopardy many um, kind of provisions uh, and legislative arrangements that were set up and have been set up to support disabled people into mainstream society. So for example, uh, now, under the new Coronavirus Act, it's easier to get people detained under the Mental Health Act. Um, there's um, the power of the Secretary of State for Education to disapply the law in relation to provision for disabled children and young people. Uh, and there's clear impacts upon so, um, social care. So the first thing to say is that as legislation responds to a pandemic, that legislation, is in danger of, of making disabled people even more precarious. So that's the first thing to recognise. The second one, which is I suppose something we can all relate to, um, disabled and non-disabled, is the impact of things like social distancing on our communities and our support networks. So for many people, of course, the move to virtual working or you know virtual parties on a Friday night might kind of work very well uh, for them. Uh, many disabled people Uh, suffer what's called digital exclusion. They don't have access to the kits or the software, uh, the finance to actually be part of that kind of virtual citizenship. And crucially, many disabled people rely upon uh, um, social care and support arrangements that are literally a matter of life and death. And so, of course, if you throw in the kind of whole question marks around whether or not carers have the right kind of uh, protective gear on them, and of course, we know there's big debates around that. We are witnessing disabled people suffering big time in terms of the kind of regular everyday uh, matter of life and death support that they need. And the other thing to recognize within this kind of impact on communities is just to think for a second to what extent we include people from care homes in the, the, the figures around uh, COVID-19. and for many people care homes we seem to equate with older people but of course many disabled people or a number of disabled people are in those care homes so there's there's a, a real problem in not only in the kind of mainstream communities being fractured but also in specialist provision like care homes where COVID-19 is kind of potentially rampant or there might be some epidemics of uh, of it really threatening the lives of disabled people so there's the first two and the third one is kind of I suppose a more broader one, is that COVID-19 raises questions about human worth. Uh, and, and it's quite basic. Who deserve to be saved? Yeah, who deserves to be treated? And there's been a number of controversies um, within the UK whereby things like uh, an assessment of frailty or an assessment of need for uh, interventions around COVID-19 how are in many ways, um, being challenged by the presence of disability. And so many disabled activists have drawn attention to the ways in which there is an implicit assumption within society, maybe within particular services, maybe within particular practitioner mindsets, that if you're disabled, you're not worthy of care as if you're being non-disabled. So for many people, COVID-19 has been catastrophic actually catastrophic for disabled people and I think more broadly going forward it really raises some quite worrying questions about how we as a society value one another
0: are there any ways that you could sort of see us in the future looking at those values and that kind of thing what improvements can we make as a society in that way
1: yeah, I mean, the, the, good, the good news is that, um, and this is one of the key things of, of a kind of a critical disability studies approach, is that if you're seeking answers to difficult questions, then going to disabled people's communities is a good place to start, right? Because if you take from the outset that the very existence of disabled people after a uh, history, um, after, you know, decades, after centuries of oppression, disabled people are still around. So something must be going on within disabled people's lives and their communities for them still to be around, right? So our approach is, that is to recognise, if you like, the, the dangerous stuff that's going on in the world, but also to take as our starting point the imaginative and innovative responses of disabled people in their communities. So we are witnessing, for example, a number of online virtual uh, communities coming together disabled people's organizations to support one another and this can range from online yoga to uh you know online um recipes through to see you know some might say more serious. i'm not sure there's anything more serious than eating but more serious stuff like you know filling out um uh, benefit f- um, forms or seeking out particular social care provisions so we are witnessing um a, a kind of you know, the, the virtual community is a space being occupied by disabled people. The trouble is, like I said earlier, is many disabled people are digitally excluded. And I think what we, we need to do as we go forward, as we recover from this immediate impact of COVID-19, is to shine them, or if you like, turn the mirror back onto society to ask a couple of questions. One, who do you consider to be human? And secondly, um Is everybody considered to have equal human
0: worth? I would hope so. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So obviously that's quite centred on the UK so far but have you seen similar um, examples and things like that elsewhere in the world at the moment?
1: We managed to get uh, various kind of testimonies and blog posts from uh, Iceland, uh, Netherlands, Nepal, Spain and so on. and i think what you can see is some similarities and also differences and one kind of very clunky um, and some would say very simplistic distinction to make would be between those countries that are in the global north what we understand as a kind of high un- high income nations and those in the global south which are the low-income nations or so another way of looking at it would be between uh, the minority world europe um uk uh western Um, North America and the majority world, where the vast majority of people live. Um, And I think in terms, if you think across those global North countries, like for example, Belgium and the UK, you're seeing similar kind of impacts of COVID-19. For example, um, disabled children are not accessing schools in the same ways that they were. Question marks are being raised about whether or not um, online and virtual responses to education can take place in this kind of new home education uh, climate uh, you're also i think seeing um the retraction of policies which i mentioned earlier which were meant to be set up as as having some kind of anticipatory duty anticipating the needs of disabled young people that you know some of if you like the teeth of those of that legislation has been lost and i think also within um the global north countries you'll see in what might be called a re-medicalization of culture so understandably as we look, as we you know as the vaccine is being sought for and the importance of the the so called expertise of of um of experts of scientists you're seeing this kind of remedicalization of culture in such a way that could be dangerous and it could be dangerous because for disabled people many of many aspects of their kind of lives is are, if you like trying to pull themselves out of just being seen as a medical problem right and if you kind of reinsert this medicalization then there's a danger that kind of disabled people get pulled back into that pretty kind of um um you know kind of one way of thinking in the global south uh again it's, you know i, I don't want to, like suggest all the countries are the same but in the global south we've we've had blog posts from uh, for example nepal and guatemala and what we're seeing there is the impacts of things like social distancing are hugely impacting upon mutuality and support and charity, so that families with disabled children, for example, are not getting the everyday support they need. We're seeing a lack of information, uh, data collection on COVID, it's outbreaks and responses. And we're also seeing, you know, um, as these particular particular kinds of industries class, we're also seeing breakdowns in things like informal labour and uh, subsistence farming, uh, for example, in Guatemala. And of course, all of these things, the, the idea of subsistence farming is that you, these communities are relied upon that work to, to eat, to live. So we're seeing some in, uh, calamitous impacts here of COVID 19 on those on those poor areas. There's obviously a very simple point, but one to bear in mind is that poor communities are getting poorer. Um, so when disabled people are always on the edges of communities, Um, and those communities are suffering from poverty, then this raises real issues, of course, in terms of um, how those communities um, repair themselves after COVID-19.
0: Looking at multiple levels from individual level up to government levels, what can be done to improve the support for disabled communities both now during this pandemic but also after the pandemic?
1: Um, It's a great question, and I think... Um, our starting point for any questions such as this, uh, like I said earlier, a difficult question, is to ensure that uh, governments and service providers, policymakers are working closely with disabled people and their organizations. You'd be surprised the number of times a policy or legislation comes out which has a, has a smell or feel to it that it's being created within policymaking circles without true representative input of disabled people it's not just a truism or a kind of glib statement to say this but because i think it's an important fact is if you want to understand how to include disabled people talk to disabled people and it's surprising often that a response to things like inclusion you we, we fall into kind of professional mindset so social workers will give their view or educators will give their view or health practitioners and so on and it's quite clear that if a response out of this is community, then disabled people have um, been engaged in creating their own imaginative and innovative communities for a number of years. So we have to do that. So we need to work closely with disabled people's organisations in order to improve the support. And I think we have to be careful at the moment that, of course, there's going to be a move towards particular kinds of expertise and knowledge as we try to seek some response um, for example, a vaccine response to COVID-19, what we should not do is ignore the fact that some of the best knowledge is created in co-production with others. And just on that particular note, I think in terms of support, we need to broaden that idea. So when we think of support, we often think about human support. I we're humans helping one another, but we know now that support is a complex mix of human and animal human and digital human and machine human and environment so our understanding of human support has to become more than human and i think when we start thinking in those ways then this allows all of the different disciplines within universities from the medicine through to humanities and social science to offer something helpful into that conversation so yeah my final point would be that support as a very concept needs to be broadened
0: Before we go, we'd just like to say a huge thanks to Dan for talking to us on Coronavirus Examined. Thanks for listening and hopefully you'll join us for our next episode where we'll be talking about the environmental impact of COVID-19 and how the situation might change as lockdown eases. Coronavirus Examined is a podcast series from the University of Sheffield. It's presented by me, Alicia Shepherd, and edited and produced by Harry Clulow and Tommy Wilson. To find out more about the University of Sheffield's research around Coronavirus, head to sheffield.ac.uk forward slash research forward slash coronavirus.